listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, streaming acapella around the clock at acaville.org. Acaville, your base for the lowdown on acapella. At the top of the hour this hour, acapella research. On March 6th, Jacob Berglin posted a piece inquiring about what choral music educators can learn from contemporary acapella. Berglin starts by identifying some of the existing research into acapella, focusing mostly on books, and briefly discusses his research into the decision-making processes of an all-female group on his campus. He points out that many of those who are singing in acapella groups left more traditional singing programs or were never there to begin with. So what can those programs learn to bring them back? It's a thoughtful, if brief, discussion and is worth a read over at berglinmusiced.com. Hello, Acaville fans. Welcome to Acapella. I am your host, John Lapis, here on Acaville Radio's weekly talk show. Today, I am joined by one of my acapella group mates. That's kind of a weird acapella group mate. I don't like that. I don't like that saying. They call them greats. Wow. Acapella I, group mates. I thought greats. we were going to have an okay episode, but you're we're getting off to a really rocky start <laughs> with that pun. <laughs> uh, my good buddy, Andrew Wallace. Andrew, thank you for coming on the show today. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so, Andrew... Uh, is in the group that I started here at Colorado State University called The Mountain Horns. And uh, we're a real group. We just sent out orders for our t-shirts. It's going to be great. And uh, Andrew sings bass in the group. And he's also in another acapella group on campus. So, Andrew, uh, we're going to hit on a couple of things today. But before that, can you just tell people uh, who you are, to the listeners, what you do, who you are, and what that's like? What it's like <laughs> to be me. What it's all like right, to be John, you. Yes. I'll do my best. Well, thanks for having me on the show, first of all. Absolutely. Um, it makes me feel important. Uh, my name's Andrew, as John said, I am a music major at Colorado State University, um, Bachelor of the Arts in Music. Uh, I, I guess the ensembles, well, yeah, I guess the ensembles that I'm a part of and what I sing and such, I, uh, am part of a voice studio, um, that occurs once a week where we sing repertoire, um, that is assigned to us from our voice teacher who gives us voice lessons once a week, um. I also am in uh, CSU's chamber choir. I am also part of the opera at Colorado State University. Right now we're going through um, A Little Night Music by Stephen Sondheim, and I play the part of Count Carl Magnus Malcolm. So if you like opera, come by. It's on March 30th, 31st, April 1st, and April 2nd. Uh, (laughs) So there's the opera chamber choir. Then I'm a part of um, an acapella group that John mentioned called Basic Acapella. I understand that Josh was on here recently. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh is the music director of that. Um, and uh, I, I sing bass in that one as well. And then I am a part of uh, the Mountain Horns acapella group uh, that John mentioned just that he just founded. So yeah, that that's pretty much Andrew. So uh, Andrew and I met in the CSU Chamber Choir and we asked him to be a part of the Mountain Horns when we were throwing it together. And, I, and that's something I'd like to talk about today. The idea of like, not just creating a group, but being a founding member. And especially if you're not like the quote unquote original creator. Cause when I've, you know, I've started two groups, the Timberman at university of Puget sound and now the mountain horns at Colorado state university, um, along with some other little ones that never lasted. And when I, yeah, when I try to 
create these groups. We, I think, I think this is the thing that a lot of people do. You kind of look for ringers. You look for people who are like, yes, I know this person is going to be on top of their game. And this is like the kind of person who, if they auditioned, I'd want the group, et cetera, et cetera. So talking with one of my other uh, members who I talked to about it, he was like, yeah, we should get Andrew Wallace. Uh, great bass singer, you know, all the good stuff. And uh, Andrew, we approached you saying, if you're interested, and I'm kind of just wondering like, almost sort of what that's like in being kind of asked to be kind of part of something from the beginning before it's even like quote unquote real, like the idea of coming together to make something that hasn't existed before uh, when you're not, when it's not like your original brainchild, if that makes sense. You obviously have input on the creation of it, but I just, I wonder what that's like this kind of, Hey, being pitched to a new creation, being pitched to a new acapella group. What, what was that like for you? Um, it was really nice, <laughs> honestly, uh, and I'll explain why a little bit. But yeah, actually, I really was interested in in forming CSU's first male acapella group myself. Actually, um, my freshman year and then my sophomore year uh, with this uh, other guy named Austin. Fun story: he actually used to be a part of the uh, well-known acapella group. On the Rocks from Oregon University. Used Actually, to be part it's of called group. University of Oregon. I'm from Oregon, so get it right. <laughs> oh, I apologize, John. I please edit that out of there. <laughs> Anyways, uh, the Austin and I want to start our own, um, and so a male acapella group, all male acapella group at CSU, is always something I've been very interested in. Um, the only. Uh, the only thing that was uh, really tripped me up along the process, that which is why it never happened, is just it requires a lot of time and a lot of effort to do it right. Time and effort, um, time at least, which I just, I did not, I just did not have. I could try, but in order to really be able to do it well and not make it kind of the side thing that I did, mm-hmm. but actually be able to do it well and do it justice, uh, I didn't have the time to do that. Um, and so it was kind of, it kind of bummed me out because it's something I really wanted to see happen. Um, so I was pretty excited when John, you came up to me, um, with the interest as well, because it was like, yes, I really want this to happen and I want uh, to be part of it. I just don't have the time to do it myself. So when somebody else took the initiative to start it up themselves, um, uh, and so all the responsibility falls on them <laughs> more or <Yeah>. less for stuff. <laughs> I'm still a member, so I still got to, yeah. you know, pull my own weight for sure. But it's just a lot less of a time commitment on my end mm-hmm. um, to be a member versus a founder, which was a uh, which was really well, you helpful. Are, you're like so. a, you are a founding member, but you're not like sitting in your like dorm room or apartment, like starting from scratch, like planning it all out from the from the first seed, if you if you might say. If you yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um and so that that was nice. And so that really helped me to uh, um, I, I really wanted to jump on the bandwagon with that, especially when I heard the other members that would be in the group of uh, one of which was Josh, who has been on the show before. But he uh, uh, I've worked with him for a long time um, now, and I know that he has amazing an amazing uh, soloist voice and a, um, a big heart for uh, acapella music as well. Mm-hmm. So I was really excited for that. I was really excited as well for our other member who is a freshman this year, just joined. His name's Jonathan, and he um he actually had his own acapella group in high school that I heard mm-hmm. last spring. That was bomb, so good. 
one of the best acapella groups I've ever heard in my life. And he was just in high school and he arranged all the music for them. So I was really excited when I heard he was going to be in as well. Um, and at the time, John, I didn't even know you, no. uh, but I was excited to, uh, to get to know you a little more. You seem pretty cool. I know. And then I got to know you and realized that was not true. <laughs> nope. You know, exactly. But... <laughs> exactly. But, uh, yeah, that was just the four of us at first. And then we got, uh, our last member, Eric, who also is a phenomenal vocalist. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, just the, our crew was uh, really attractive. Um, are attractive. <laughs> yes, they're still around. Men. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was um, it was it was exciting to be asked to join. Um, and as far as what it's been like so far, uh, being a founding member of the mm -hmm. group, um. It has been rewarding in that uh, we've been able to make good sounds, good noises mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, with uh, little effort um, because I think that uh, the guys involved are, are good vocalists, are good musicians. And so, mm -hmm. um, uh, and I think we have, we chose some good repertoire and I'm very fond of the fact that um, it's all being arranged. Well, a few, uh, several of them are being arranged uh, by a couple of the guys in our group now. Uh, the other ones have already been arranged before by John um, and, and for his, yeah. yeah, yeah, and his friends. So, so yeah, and I think these these are all really good points in that I feel like when you try and make a group, like as a founding member or as, as a founder, as I've been, like you almost feel like you have to market it to people. I have to like if I want to go up and get someone in my group, I have to like. It's not the same as like, okay, I have an we're an established organization on campus. We have a reputation that will draw people to us. That's not created yet. So I feel like when I'm trying to convince people to join a group, when I'm starting one, I definitely feel almost like I'm marketing it. But the trick is I don't have anything to market yet because it doesn't exist. So I think your points on like, okay, what are the factors that drew you to it? And I think these are things listeners should definitely consider when they're trying to create a group. Like having a clear vision of what you want, having people who other people will be excited to sing with, having personalities that will work well together, either when you're going out or when you're being approached for a group. So I think these are all like the kind of little things that make you want to join a group when you're asked to. Because I've been asked to join groups uh, one or two before that were just like getting, they wanted to start one. And whether it's due to like not confidence in the leadership, the people or the infrastructure, I, I turned one in particular down that was that was trying to be created. So I think there's this kind of, also there's this idea of like, you know, when you're asked to be a founding member, maybe a bit of pressure in that you might have to do a little bit more work um, in helping create the group than like a normal, like just someone coming into a new group might. Does that sound fair? E e okay. <laughs> hmm. Re restate the question for me. I won't, cause I'm, I'm torn. So I'm wondering, Andrew, like, so yeah, we came up to you, we asked you to audition or not audition. We asked you to be in the group. But you had also already auditioned for another group and you're already in that group as well. And I'm wondering the difference between being like a regular member of a pre-existing group or being asked to be a founding member of a new group. Like, I feel like those are kind of maybe you feel like different responsibilities or different commitments or just different kind of responsibilities, different kinds of commitments. Does that what do you think of that? OK, yeah, um, it might have to do with the size of the other group that I'm mm -hmm. in that was pre-existing. Um, more than the fact that it was already pre-existing. Uh, but it also might be that. And that uh, in the other group, the pre-existing one in basic, basic yeah. yes, I 
do not speak out as much. Um, I think because I, I, I take more of a backseat, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, where where uh, my voice is either needed or requested, I will definitely give it. But otherwise, um, I kind of will let people go with the flow and let people kind of do things how they mm-hmm. want and be a member of it and, and contribute where I'm needed or wanted. But otherwise, I'm content um, letting people do their own thing. Um, just because, especially in a, in a bigger group, the last thing you need is another loud voice <laughs> trying to impose their will, etc. So I just like <laughs> to let things roll. Um, but if I have something valuable to say, I feel like I, I, I'll, I'll offer it sometimes. But but as far as in mountain horns, um, I take a similar approach, but it's different in that I do feel more responsibility mm-hmm. um, there to shape the group into uh in into um to what into what you want it to be yes into i want to say into my own image but i'm <laughs> what i mean by that is just uh because it is in its uh starting um it's it, it's baby years yeah. um my my input frankly and not in like in a completely um i don't know how to um, I don't want to come across as being arrogant when I say it, but frankly, I mean, my point of view is valuable because I am one of the founding members yeah. and, uh, like whether I feel like I have something valuable to say or not, it is valuable to the other members because I am, a, a one of the founding members at one and two, it is a much smaller group. Yeah. Um, and so it is more important that I do speak my mind and such. So I do take more responsibility and more, and I have more, um, drive, yeah. Uh, with the mountain horns, I'd say. Um, obviously, all of this is done with respect. No, yeah, yeah. Know, but I think no, I think course. you're making a lot of sense in that. Um, I feel like when you're in basic or when someone's in two groups, or and we talked about this on last week's episode with our guest Laura about being in two groups and playing different roles, like being a leader in one or being just like a regular member in the other, serving officers, musicianship, whatever. Um, like in basic. You are not, I think I, my guess is you're not influencing the culture of the group as much as you are in Mountain Horns. It's kind of like, you know, because Basic has existed for a while, so it's not going to suddenly change directions that much. It's got a pretty clear path of what it's going to do, the kind of performances, the kind of feel of everything. But with an early group like Mountain Horns, there are a lot of things that just haven't been set in stone yet. So your voice is like, you know, one of five that could ch- we could end up um you know having doing something completely different from any of the other groups and maybe that could be your idea maybe not but the fact is that as a founding member it's not just i think a lot of people see it as like oh there's a creator of a group and then the members i see it as there's someone who starts the creation process but everyone who is in that first group decides the culture of the group it decides like what kind of animal it wants to be and obviously groups change over years and stuff like that but i think cuz i feel like when you're first doing a group and you first created one, you kind of have to sell. It's like one, it's image, but also it's like legitimacy to the larger community, whether that's a campus or a city or a small town or whatever. So I feel like that first kind of imprint you make, which is a combination of the original founding members, you know, everyone's opinion and how it wants to be presented, how it wants to perform the kind of music, all that stuff. That's all super critical. Cause I feel like a lot of that defines at least for, you know, the first year or two of its life, how the group's going to be seen. So I definitely feel this idea of being a founding member should not be seen as like creator and then members, but definitely everyone is a creator because they're all making it a real group, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, it does make sense. Good. I would agree with that <laughs> as well. It is it is also nice um to be not be a founder of a group sometimes. I, I, I love being actively involved and promoting the group and um and such like that for sure. Uh, but it is nice not being a founder sometimes because I also tend to be, I don't know, sometimes more of a realist, borderline pessimist. <laughs> and so it, you need it, it in a role of a like a founding member. You really don't want to have somebody like that who is who's is, who's is really a founding member. You want somebody to be who's, who's really optimistic. I kind of I kind of so, I kind of disagree because I remember. When we were auditioning for our last spot that obviously went to Eric, we were choosing, uh, we were all kind of almost sold on this one bass who had a great voice, but wasn't a great musician. And we were all like, okay, this could work. And you were like, no, dude, this isn't going to work because this guy, like, you know, for whatever reason, his tuning isn't that good or whatever. And I feel like it's important to have a realist when you're founding because I feel like the people who are creating a group have to deal with more realistic obstacles than, um, more obstacles in general than people who are already in a group have to deal with. And I feel like it's important to have someone who's grounded and maybe pessimistic, but is looking at the big picture and all the problems that could arise. Cause there's a ton of problems that can, that can happen when you're creating an acapella group. And there are a ton of hurdles and hoops to jump through hurdles to jump over hoops to jump through. Don't jump through hurdles. That's, <laughs> I mean, that'd be kind of funny. You'll lose. You'll get last place. <laughs> you will. Um, but I, I've always valued, you know, just personally, I've always valued your, um, you know, I think it's important to have that grounded perspective. It's, you know, it's great to have people who are optimistic about the future of a group, but if they just have their head in the clouds and they're not facing, Hey, we need to get in like our constitution by this time. We need to have a logo. We need to set a date for our performances, whatnot, and whatnot, et cetera, et cetera. Like those are important, like things that have to get done. I think having someone who is kind of grounded um, and kind of looking at the bigger, maybe not as pretty, but the bigger picture is really important. Okay. I definitely would agree with that. Yeah. So I, I, I'm happy to, to fill the role <laughs> of the douche. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. John laughs, but that's actually how he feels about me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the role of like a kind of grounded realist perspective in a founding group. Like what's Andrew, I, th I think you were going on a tangent. I interrupted you of like, what's it like being same same perspective grounded big picture pessimist whatever however you want to put it however you want to spin that um like what's that like when you're already in an established group what what would you say that perspective kind of brings to a group that isn't struggling with um being like you know just getting its feet a group that already exists and knows its identity what yeah. um well i would say it, it sort of relates to to what I was saying before about taking a back seat and that um, mm -hmm. I feel like in a large group, everybody has a, has an idea. Everybody has a good idea too. Um, and so the last thing that you need is another person speaking another idea. It's ineffective. And, um, and the one thing that I think bothers me sometimes about, <laughs> about uh not just acapella and not just my group but in life but it ha definitely <laughs> happens in in my acapella group sometimes is that i think sometimes people will just for the sake of getting their voice heard which yep. is and which is a product of humanity um granted uh, but just for the sake of getting their voice heard will often say like the exact same thing that somebody already said but they'll say it um 
so that they feel like they're contributing. But a lot of the time, but it doesn't actually get you anywhere. Um, and so the, and it's just more noise. <laughs> so the last there was thing that a I want there was a girl in my English class senior year who would always do that. And every time <laughs> she would do that, the person who had just said the thing would just kind of look over and be like, what? Wait a minute. <laughs> but no, I get what you're saying. And I think that is the kind of idea of like group politics and group democracy. Um, it's, I think it's a lot harder in a larger group because you have to, you want to make sure everyone's opinions getting listened to, but you can't have every opinion be valid or, or implement all their different ideas. Cause that's just not functional. I find it's kind of easy when you have five people to figure out the decision. Like when we were trying to figure out who we wanted to be in the group for our fifth member, we, we, it took us like 15 minutes, like tops, just cause we all like, we all had our opinions and they were all equally valid. Um, and it, it worked out pretty well. Cause there wasn't, again, every time someone said something, they weren't trying to, they weren't doing it just to get their voice heard. They're doing it cause they represent like, at that point, 25% of the groups, um, 25, 25% of the group in general. So I think um, the idea of, yes, I, I, I think I think this speaks to the bigger idea of larger groups maybe can get bogged down in trying to service every opinion. And that's kind of nice when it's smaller groups, when you don't have to do that as much or at all. Yeah, yeah, I think that it is easier to get things done for that for that reason yeah. in a smaller group. But, um, but as far as the uh the other big group goes i think because of that part of human nature um <laughs> it uh really dictates the kind of role that i like to play which is that i will stay quiet until or unless something is said that i just i i don't agree with if it's like trivial whatever i don't care but if it's really something uh, like i disagree with this and i feel like it needs to be said because i think that it could have a big impact then that's when i'll then i'll speak up and be like this is how i feel about this and frankly, I'm just throwing throwing it out there. I, I do. If if somebody disagrees with me or thinks that I'm wrong, awesome. Uh, <laughs> say it. Like, do not ever hold back what you're thinking, for fear of it not being popular or um, for people shooting it down. Uh, absolutely not. If I have an absolutely terrible, awful idea, I hope that somebody will say something because. I will not be offended. I promise you, <laughs> but, um, we're going to get lots of tweets but, now being like, Andrew's wrong. <laughs> I'm wrong about a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, especially my friendship with John, but you know, we're working <laughs> on it. Uh, so I think the pessimist realist is often needed to keep groups grounded. Yep. Um, and sometimes if it means that you're disliked, right? Uh, which is very rare uh, uh, to say, but it could happen if it might mean that you might be disliked or whatever. But hey, if it means the productivity and the and the benefit of the group as a whole, so be it. Who cares? I mean, if yeah. it mean if you need to keep the group grounded, that voice is needed, and I'll and I'll play that. That's fine with me, because um, I know that it is benefiting the group, even if people don't see it right off the bat. I know it is, and maybe they'll see it later, maybe they won't. But hey, we can be friends outside of the group. <laughs> And when we're inside the group in rehearsal, we're here to make music. We're not here to be friends. But outside, <laughs> John knows. But I, I love, I love people, and I will, uh, I'll be your friend later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think we just but, touched on a lot of uh, the different roles everybody plays, whether it's different roles in different groups, uh, and how that relates to like the timeline of the group, the culture of the group, the number of people in the group, and just the overall identity. I think. Yeah, I'll say everyone plays a different role depending on the group, depending on a lot of different things. So we're going to take a quick break, listen to some tunes, and we're going to be right back here on Tacapella. 
Neither will move till it's over. You're listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, streaming acapella around the clock at acaville.org. Acaville, giving listeners worldwide something to sing about. And welcome back to Taka Papapapella. That's what we should change the name to, Taka Papapella. How many puzz? Taka Papapella? Just one more. Taka Papapella? One last that. Okay, well, we'll figure it out. We'll workshop it. So we've been talking a lot about the different roles people play in acapella groups, (laughs) whether you're (laughs) a founding member, whether you're just coming into the group. Um... And now I think what would be cool to get into is the unique situation that Andrew's in that I used to kind of be in. Um, and that's the voice parts. And that's being a bass. Uh, I used to have a lower voice. I don't as much anymore. Andrew is our bass for Mountain Horns. He also sings bass in his other group, Basic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I personally believe that, especially in tenor bass groups, but also in it, I wrote both for both. For both SATB and TTBB groups, there's a lot of different roles the bass plays and what opportunities they have in both kind of groups so andrew like just before i you know i throw the questions at you what what do you what do you like about being a bass in in acapella groups um wow good question i haven't really thought about this before a whole lot i know well for one I, okay, well, I used to sing tenor in the old acapella group that I was in. And fun fact, I sang tenor <laughs> in chamber choir and concert choir before singing bass in those Oof. as well. <laughs> so I say that because I think I just discovered that like my voice just fits better down as a bass. Or or just um, in my attempt not to, again, once again, to sound arrogant, uh, just let me know, John, if I ever am. But just that is, no, it's frankly, totally fine it to is... sound arrogant on here. It's a constant struggle for okay. me not to. All right. Do. <laughs> In life for you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but uh, bases are just a lot harder to come by. They're a lot harder to find uh, people who can uh, fill out um, sound in those lower uh, lower volume and those lower um, uh, ranges. Yeah. Um, and. I can, uh, certainly not as low as like true basses and some basses that I've heard in acapella groups, nowhere near, but more than I'd say, um, the majority of guys, um, which that's, that's just the fact. Um, and, uh, and so because of that, my voice type just, just served more of a purpose down on bass. Um, and I, uh, besides that, I really enjoy singing bass. I think that it's a lot of fun making the deep low yeah noises and um i feel like i have a good grasp on what on specific the specific uh timbre yeah um or color of how a bass should sound in an acapella group setting specifically um really um just darkening and opening the vowels and um i feel like i have a good grasp on on that sound um and uh yeah, I think that the bass in a lot of situations is the foundation of the um, of the group as well, and so uh, I really enjoy um, feeling important there. Yeah, <laughs> but, no, definitely. I remember uh, I sang 
I didn't sing bass a ton in my other groups in in really ever like second bass. Um, but in my in Timberman, I sang second bass once on one piece, and I felt so important. I thought it was like it just like it it felt <laughs> like I ma- I like when you're singing it, it feels like it matters more than the baritone or the tenor two. I think it is like the most fun to sing after the lead because you are without you the rest of it the rest of the chords the rest of the timbres and everything can't function. Um, but also. Yeah. As a baritone, as a higher baritone, um, for me, I really, really sing in SATB acapella groups. There's like one in high school that was like half choir, half acapella group, half show choir. It's three halves. It's that was weird. Um, but as a baritone, yeah. (laughs) But as a baritone, like an SATB group, I feel like I'm just going to get relegated to doing like the bass part, essentially, like rather than possibly like solos, if that makes sense. Because I feel like mm. higher baritones, they can kind of jump into the tenorish range and possibly do a solo. But rarely do you have like, you might have a low bass solo, which I'm not in an SATB group, but you rarely have like a baritone solo. It just is something that in that texture doesn't fit as well. So for me, I always prefer to do um, tenor bass groups because I want to like, even though baritones like, you know, that's that's my normal range. So I want to sing there rather than too low. And I also want to have the opportunity to do solo stuff because I feel like it's easy to do that in tenor bass groups than it is in an SATB group. Yes. Uh, in addition to that, one thing um, uh, that can be, well, uh, one thing that has been brought to my attention before by the music director, Josh, in, in the other group is he mm. expressed concern like um, that I never would rarely be able to have an uh, opportunity to do a solo yep. um, because I am a bass. As a bass, um, you're, you you can't just really have somebody jump off of the bass line in order to do mm-hmm. a solo. Like, uh, bass is really uh, fundamental, and you need it all the time. So if you're, one, if you're the only bass, like I am in Mountain Horns, that makes it even harder. Yeah. Um, if you're one of two basses, like I am in uh, uh, Basic, um, you can do that. But oftentimes the baseline in some of our arrangements in basic is split into two parts. Mm. And so I would you would literally be I would literally be jumping off of um, a part that is just my own in order to sing Mm. a solo. So um, Josh expressed concern that that might be difficult for me, but uh, that I would never really have an opportunity to do a solo. But frankly, it is not bad. And I say that because, Mm -hmm. again, like whatever. What what good is it being able to have a solo if it costs you the sound of the group? Like if um, you might be able to showcase your voice, but if the group of the if you if the sound of the group suffers because of it, n- the whole group suffers. Which and then it's in turn if you're gonna if you want to take it selfishly, like that will affect the image of yourself as well because the mm. whole group suffers. So a lot of, the, so really what is important to me is the overall sound of the group and that the group is showcased well. And if taking somebody off of a baseline in order for them to do a solo is going to poorly affect the group, then, then I am full support of that. It's not happening. So in other words, John, what I'm trying to say is that as a bass, I don't get as many opportunities to perform solos, but that is totally fine with me. I am not eager to showcase my mediocre solo voice to the world. Uh, and so if I can, uh, if, if the whatever is going to make the group sound its best, I am game for that. That's what I want to do. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think that does make sense. And I think a lot of people would say, well, the 
answer to that is just get more bases for the group. So then a base can do it can do a solo. But again, like you said, real bases who can make that foundation resonant and loud and have people balanced to it. Those are hard to come by. So I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think um, we had not, not a really similar situation, but in my high school acapella group that was SATB, like none, I don't remember any time we never had a bass uh, have a solo in the main group. Like when they did smaller groups, sometimes a bass person would have a solo, but a bass person, a bass would have a solo, but um, rarely. And, um, you know, we also have run into this in mountain horns and that the other person who can kind of sing bass is me, but I mean, not really not great. So when we were finding, cause in mountain horns uh, for listeners who don't know, we try to make sure everyone has a solo because five members you can show off. Uh, if you want to show off each member really well in case it creates a really diverse set, you know, trying to choose Andrew's song, half of it is, okay, what can Andrew sound good on and what does he want to sing? The other half is, okay, can John sing these bass notes? And that's, again, it just kind of comes back down to like, I feel like basses are in short supply and those are, it's tricky. That's why I'm always a fan of having, if I'm doing like a five part group, uh, five part guys, um, I prefer to have like two people who could possibly do like low bass um, and then like a baritone and then two tenors because chances are like, the baritone and two basses they probably have pretty good falsettos if they're you know the kind of singers you want um so they could switch to a tenor part or something but the bass you need to have like an actual bass to do the bass line you can have a bass sing tenor one and falsetto like if it's like if it's applicable to that song so i i think just just kind of comes back to the idea of besides basses being um hard to come by just their unique role and the kind of uh adjustments groups have to make to um whether to let them have a solo or to have the right sound for their group. Um, cause I, I think a lot of motivation sometimes for joining college acapella is, Hey, I want to do a solo and I want to be backed by a big group and I want to look great and sing to girls and have everyone swoon over me. Um, but it's, you know, I, I, my opinion is, uh, you want to always have a group layout that allows for someone, for everyone to possibly have a solo, not necessarily assign everyone a solo, but have that possibility open. So like if I was running basic or whatever, or if not, like I would have thrown in another, another bass or something, um, another low bass, if they're musically gifted enough to kind of take your spot while you did a potential solo. Yes. Yeah. That would be the ideal situation. I think um, also in regards to being a bass, there's also just this kind of like cultural perception of like, I don't know, I've heard like my female friends have told me like they like always like the low bass singers or whatever. They like, there's, you know, the deep gravelly voice or whatever. But also, again, the, this idea of it like, you're part singer, like part utility in a sense, in that like you, besides just being a, like, again, the role of a bass in an acapella group is different than the role of a baritone, um, usually, uh, besides the bass being the foundation, they just have different kinds of parts written for them. The baritone part in one of our songs, which is another, is like probably ooze and kind of more background parts, but the bass is like the most prominent thing, or should be the most prominent thing after the solo, and I think that is perceived by a lot of people. Um, I remember growing up watching, uh, it was the kind of barbershop-ish acapella quartet from my high school with uh, the worst name ever. They were called the Poop Decks. Just terrible, terrible name. <laughs> but I That's know, great. right? Um, but everyone always loved the bass because they always did this thing like whenever he'd be doing like a doom, boom, boom, boom. Like they'd pretend to like play him as a bass or whatever. Stuff like that. Like kind of kitschy, campy things like that. People dig at that. People love that stuff. Like there, and I think that people really enjoy the idea of like a really low bass singer. Cause it's 
you don't hear people sing that low all the time, I guess, as, as silly mm. as that sounds. I remember I went to, when I went off to school um, at uh, for my undergrad, My par- I told my parents, yeah, my voice is getting higher because it's developing. And they're like, isn't it supposed to go lower? Like, and there's no like mm. science behind that. They just thought like, like the idea of a developing voice means getting lower and that's like the more pleasing timbre to them and i think that again ties into the cultural perception of what a bass voice is and what a bass uh the role of bass um i want to keep saying bass person (laughs) i love that line um i love that phrase um the role a bass singer plays in acapella groups so andrew okay do you think that's how people see bass a bass singer Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and to be honest, John, I have to confess here, uh, I, I am no stranger to the knowledge of the the effect the bass voice has on the the female, <laughs> the female psyche. <laughs> I uh, in there's a couple songs we're singing in chamber right now. Uh, that they require the bass two to go dang low. Mm-hmm. And I look forward to those opportunities because uh uh you you cannot tell this to anybody there now you're here but i look forward to those opportunities because they're really low and i like to show off sometimes yeah no but that's the thing women in front of me like even though tenors uh sing very high in choir it can be it can just sound like part of the harmony um whether in choir and acapella groups it can kind of just be buried in the harmony but like uh the things we hear are like a really high soprano or a really low bass and again it's showing off it's totally showing off and I think an acapella group should milk that. And I think they do. I think lots of people do. I think the idea of having like a super, super low bass, like uh, soloing or just showing off in your group, like Avi from Pentatonix or stuff like that, or the one from um, Shades of Blue, like that's, that's just, it's kind of camp, but you're leaning into it and it just drives people nuts in like a good way. It's like a superstar kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sure. I, 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 I think that, I think that uh, it is okay to showcase like really low bass voices in a group. Um, at the same time, you just want to. There's a balance between. Yeah, you don't want to uh, just do that being, the whole time. Being conceited, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just like writing music for uh, and a bass line for a foundational purpose versus like, look at our low bass. He's <laughs> awesome. No, uh, but that's the thing. People always want to do that. The show off. Look how low our bass is. Like, but if you don't actually yes. have that really low bass. And just someone trying to sing those notes, it looks really bad. It sounds not great either. Yeah, it brings remind me of a time when you were singing, John. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Every you time can, you're every singing. Every time I try to sing low, I can't do it. No, no. I used to be able to sing pretty low, but when I was able to sing low, I wasn't a good musician. So I could never sing bass on my own because I was always go out of tune. So now that I can have a decent ear, my low range is already gone. So it's the, mm. it's the you know, I'll never get, I'll never get the you know look amiga as i'm doing my little low bass line like you know i don't get a show off like that um you know that's fine or whatever but um i think this all kind of speaks to the idea of everyone in an acapella group wanting to have a moment to shine for sopranos altos and tenors and baritones sometimes if uh it's like you know you can show off through solos usually or some kind of thing and that's where i get my satisfaction is doing like a high baritone solo or whatever um but basses show off a lot of times if it's not through solo, it's through the utility. It's through the campiness. It's through the playing into the cultural perceptions of someone who sings bass, I think is the best way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Boom. Yeah, for sure. I also, you also spoke about, uh, the, um, about how your voice was changing and it actually was getting higher. And it just, uh, 
as far as how that relates to me and my experience of singing bass, it, it made me think of some um, last night was the singer of the year competition at Colorado State University. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I got feedback from one of the judges afterwards. Um, and he was telling me about how your voice does not fully mature as a male until you're like 40. And he, 30, as a yeah, voice teacher, is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He he he, as a voice teacher, said he didn't really even settle into his voice till he was about thirty. Again, mm. uh, good control over it and such. Um, and that definitely is true with me when it comes to my bass, for sure. My bass is really rich and resonant when it's pretty low. Um, when it's, uh, I would say, an E and lower. But as soon as you get when you get between an E and a G, just that like, no, I'd say an E and a E to A, like right in that fourth, it's just really shaky. And I really have difficulty uh, having control of my voice there and being uh, finding a place of good resonance in my voice right there. And then after too. the A, then it's great again. Um, so. Uh, but yeah, that is something as a base that I struggle with. But we will come of the age soon enough uh, yeah. where that will become easier. And it, to me, that's almost like, um, you know, I heard a when we heard that uh, bass singer audition for Mountain Horns, like that was the same kind of thing I heard. Like the really low stuff was like, whoa, I can hear that. But like in the medium low stuff, that's that was kind of foggy. And I feel like that's not an uncommon issue for basses. Um, whether they're singing a cappella or not. I remember I was listening to some, uh, an arrangement of Where the Waterfalls by my friend Duncan Toomey, who's been on here many times. Um, and my friend was listening and she was like, yeah, the low stuff's there, but like the medium low stuff's kind of not. And I think that's, so I think that's an obstacle a lot of people, uh, low singers run into at some point for sure. Yeah. Boom. I guess I would agree with that for sure. Yeah, totally. All right, we're going to take one more break here on Tacapella and then we're going to be right back. <laughs> You're listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, streaming acapella around the clock at acaville.org. Acaville, giving listeners worldwide something to sing about. Mr. Baseman, you've got that certain something. Mr. Baseman, you set that music thumping. To you, it's easy. When you go one, two, three. Mr. Baseman, you're on all the songs with the boom, 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 boom. And a did it da boom 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 bum Mr. Baseman You're the hidden king of rock and roll Try this It don't mean a thing when the lead is singing Or when he goes Mr. Baseman I'm asking just one thing Will you teach me Yeah the way you sing Cause Mr. Baseman I wanna be a bass Oh, Mr. Baseman, I think I'm really with it. Oh, Mr. Baseman, now I'm a bassman too. Oh, is it time for my bass solo? No, it's time for my bass solo. Oh, Mr. Baseman, 
Think you got what it takes? Basically. You sound like Kim Bass Singer. the Those accusations are baseless. Maybe you should try Now that's some stand-up No worries, man. It's fretless. And that's your basic training. And welcome back to Tacapella. This is your host, John Lampus. We've been talking with my good buddy, Andrew Wallace, all about the different roles one can play in an acapella group, whether you are being a founding member, whether you are a just a standard member, whether you're in a small group, big group, SATB, what it means to be a bass in acapella and how you get your stardom fixed when there's really any no other bass solos. And what it also means like to what what being a bass person, as I like to say, what that's like in an acapella group. So uh, we're going to wrap this up talking about the role of the classical musician in an acapella group really quickly because Andrew and I are both... Uh, quote-unquote classically trained about that's as, about as uh egotistical saying as you can make um but we both were uh I, I was now i still am just in grad school a music major andrew is a music major ba in voice and andrew what has it been like um being a classically trained musician and kind of going between these worlds of classical music and pop acapella Okay, I'm glad you asked, John. Uh, well, <laughs> just for, just to too. clarify to to start, um, really, when we say that we are classically trained, what we really mean by that is that we are trained to sing, um, in a healthy way. Yep. Um, we we're trained how to sing, um, in a way that is going to create the most amount of sound, good as sound, um, with the least amount of effort. Um, in which case, which will uh, really overall result in a healthy voice and prolong your careers as long as possible. Yep. Um, the general sound that that kind of technique of singing creates is one that um, one would describe as being classical um, yep. or like operatic. Mm. Um, and so not the kind of sound you're going for in acapella, um, but uh, here's how it's really affected acapella. Um, since I was since I've been classically trained, the once you are trained classically and how to sing uh, healthy, <laughs> um, there really is no going back. <laughs> That's one thing that I've struggled with a lot is that I 
I cannot for the life of me get back my old techniques, bad techniques, mm-hmm. uh, let's say like bad for my voice, but my, my old techniques, I can't get them back. And so my, I have, I have completely lost my grasp on my, some of my old bad techniques, uh, bad techniques, which, um, gave me, um, a pop sound. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of uh, pop singers, frankly, do have awful techniques, techniques that are that are yeah. not going to uh, be healthy for their voices. But it, it produces a sound that is really popular in pop culture that people mm-hmm. really like. Um, and I used to have a good grasp and technique on those on on that kind of singing and such. But since I started becoming classically trained, I have completely lost my grasp on that kind of singing Um with those bad techniques or just my pop voice completely lost grasp Mm -hmm. on it. And so I have to kind of rediscover that. And so because of that, I am not as confident with my, uh, my pop voice anymore as I was coming in my (laughs) freshman year. Um, and so, uh, what I was saying about solos before, uh, while I'm okay, um, even if I had a great voice, I would, I would still be okay, you know, um, stepping back and singing bass for the betterment of the group. But in my specific case, it's not super hard to step back sometimes just because I'm not as confident with my solo voice um, as far as pop music goes um, as much as I used to be. Um, so, yeah, classical singing uh, really, really does affect that. Um, it's hard to be able to do both well. Um, I, I, let me correct that. I don't think that it's hard to do both well it just takes a lot of effort it takes you got to really find yourself you just really got to find yourself in your pop voice uh in a way that is healthy and such but you just got to find it and it might take a little bit i have yet to find it again um a new technique of singing uh pop that is healthy um so that's how it's been for me um but the nice thing about bass is (laughs) that a lot of good classical technique does apply to yep i was gonna say singing bass And honestly, just singing like kind of uh, uh, one of the voice part lines is is, is a lot easier if uh, if you have classical training um, than to sing a, a solo line. Yeah. Because um, that requires so much more style singing a solo line, um, which is difficult to uh, to for, at least for me to get back since I have lost it since I was classically trained. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I had a pretty noticeable period in the middle of my college career where I really could not sing pop because I was just really focused on classical stuff. Uh, and my teacher helped me with that. And so is my teacher here at CSU in um, focusing mainly on making for pop voices, even if you are classically trained, making it kind of more speaky um, and making it a little more nasal, especially as you get high, like really forward, really bright. Um, that's what's made me like somewhat okay at that. But I, I think uh, you hit a really good point about it's just easier for basses, I think, than like like it's easier for a classically trained bass to sing bass in an acapella group than it is for like a classically trained tenor to sing like a rockin' tenor solo, you know, without it sounding like classical. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely would agree with that. Um I have since become much more confident in my classical voice since I received that training than I am in my yeah, pop voice. Me too. Yeah, because it's about an intersection of it's still trying to f- you I think it's much easier to have a classical basis and then like that strong, healthy foundation and then put pop stuff on top of that just stylistically rather than rethinking your whole technique for the pop sound. Um, I think that's the best way to put it. And I think it is, again, easier for basses and baritones. Well, baritones, um, it's a little hard. You know, it's minimizing vibrato, um, forward, speaky, kind of nasal. I'm not overtly nasal, but especially as you get high, 
that's how I think of it. It's just really forward and kind of snarly. Um, so that's, yeah, I think, um, and that's kind of an issue. I think a lot of people have to have to confront, especially when they're at a music school for college, like you're probably taking lessons and receiving proper, like vocal training. And you kind of got to reconcile that and you have to sing the popular stuff in a way that does not, um, seriously, like hurt your voice or affect your, how vocally healthy you are. Cause I've seen people who do sing like that and then they're not able to sing in anything because they're like, have roughed their voice up too much. So it's a balance. And I think it's one that is more common than a lot of people think in that trying to bridge that classical pop gap. Because I know I had a real hard time reining in my vibrato and not sticking out in groups um, when I was really focusing uh, more on classical training. So, you know, I think that's just something we'll have to face at some time. Yep, I'd agree with that. Boom. Well, I think that's just about all the time we have today for this episode of Tacapella. Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the show. John, you are so welcome. <laughs> uh, everyone, if you want to see what the Mountain Horns are all about, that's Andrew and I's group. You can't find us yet because we are not on Facebook <laughs> or Twitter or anything yet. We will be launching that in a few weeks. If you want to get a hold of the station at Arkaville Radio to either volunteer, see what we're all about, just listen to some tunes, maybe be on an episode of Tacapella, suggest a topic, uh, whatever you want to do, just hit us up. We are at Acaville Radio on Twitter. You can also just go to the site, uh, acaville.org, see what we're all about. If you want to get a hold of me, you can tweet me at John Lampus. Uh, we can talk about acapella. We can talk about superheroes. We can talk about whatever you want. Uh, so we're always just reaching out, looking to expand Acaville, get more people involved. Uh, hit us up because we want you to join us. Uh, once again, Andrew, thanks so much for coming on the show. This has been another fun episode of Tacapella episode. I want to say episode 32 now, which is really fun. Uh, so that's it for today, everybody. Thanks for tuning in and for everything acapella, stay tuned.
Fresh. Do 